Hey there, stylish ThoughtBot podcast listener. We're back with another ThoughtBot swag sale. For the rest of the year, you can show your support for our podcast with shirts, pint glasses, and even limited edition socks. We have two new designs specifically for giant robots and bike shed t-shirts that have only before been available at conferences. For the production and shipping, we are proud to once again be partnering with Social Imprints, who provide career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. Okay, I'm recording now, too. I just hit a button. We didn't talk about what we should talk about. No, we did not. Want to talk about what we should talk about? <laughs> not really. Okay. <laughs> cool. We can figure that out as we go, right? Yeah, iterative. It's tentative. It's in the name. Hello. <laughs> That's the whole point of the show is to not know what we're doing. Right. Great. I'm sure that our listeners love that. <laughs> Oh, how are you doing? How's how's it going? It's pretty good. It's it's late afternoon on a Friday. Can't complain, right? I know. I can't believe it's already. How about four. you? I'm good. I'm tired. It's been a full day of things, which I love. Love a full schedule, but I'm ready for a couch and a TV show. I'm excited for that. <laughs> oh man, I'm so excited for that. I, I know this is why people t- tune in is to hear our plans after work, but me and my wife are going to finish Stranger Things tonight, and I am so excited about doing what you just said, which is like just sitting down, watching a few episodes of that, and finishing it. Oh my god, I am. We are about four episodes or five episodes in, so not there yet. And I'm very excited for you, and I'm going to be continuing that journey probably tonight. <laughs> I, I feel like you could totally. It'll be a late night. It it was. It's only like nine episodes. Come on. Oh, I know. I have sometimes after a couple episodes, I feel like as if I had like three hamburgers or something, and I feel like I need to get up, got to walk around a second, and then sometimes I just fall asleep. <laughs> so hopefully we could push through the wall, you know? Yeah. But it's a good. It's an exciting show. Yeah, it is. I mean, to bring this back to design, the reason I love it is just like everything in that show is so well thought out and designed from the outfits to the haircuts to, you know, the the lighting. It's like for 45 minutes, like I could care less about the intriguing storyline and just like look at the design of the show itself. Mm, that intro for me, it starts at that intro. And I love that 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 music, and mm-hmm. zooming in and out. Oh, I can't! I just I love it. Oh, <laughs> I felt that way about Mad Men. Mad Men. There are so, there were so many times when I was watching Mad Men that I wasn't even listening to anything they were saying. I was just looking at the screen and just stars in my eyes. Like wow, everything is so beautiful that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. For me, I the Mad Men story lost me, so I like stopped watching it. But yes. The whole design around Mad Men. Although, didn't they use... There was a whole thing about the type that they used on some of their, their stuff that it wasn't actually designed yet in their time period. Oh, no. I don't know. That sounds completely true. 
something that us designers would totally point out. It's like, oh, Helvetica wasn't designed yet. You can't use that. Right, exactly. Exactly. There's, I feel like there's like other little things too, kind of along the same lines, but I don't, I never really followed that thread because I was just, I was like, it's a TV show. But, you know, like if you are going to be very particular to details, then yeah, that's, that's, that's an oversight. I think that was probably a mistake. Hmm. How can we wrap this into? (laughs) I don't know. TV shows that designers should watch. Design shows. That sounds like. Design shows that TV should watch. (laughs) It's Friday afternoon. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, you know, so how do you feel about, because I'm thinking about how it took me a really long time to update my personal website. Like it took forever because that was something that was not a priority for a long time. And then. It's like old code sitting there for years and then you look at it years later and you're like, oh my God, I did that. And it's like in public and out on the internet. So to get inspiration, I was trying to find some sites that were very wow factor and like very nice to look at. And then that was really hard reining in all of this inspiration that I got. And it kept I kept changing the direction of the site I wanted to make because every time I saw a beautiful site, I was like, oh, I got to do that. This is great. And then I would see another site and be like, oh, this is even better. And then in action. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing about personal sites though, right? Is that you never actually get to them. I think I so... My site hasn't changed much in the last few years because of the amount of time and because of the amount of like inaction of like what you're talking about. But what I've done in the past is like write down and treat myself like a client and not be as wishy-washy about it and think of it in terms of branding. Like if it was someone else, how would I be branding them and and like go through that same process? And that way, if I see something new that I like, I can like do something that I would do with one of our clients, which is like, it's great that you like that, but does it apply to your personal brand? Like the story that you're trying to sell, Mm. that kind of thing. Yes. So that would be my suggestion to you is start with writing. So write down like, what's the narrative that you want people to walk away with when they look at your personal site. Yes, that's a great idea. Speaking of like the writing part, I also started doing a mo- just mock-ups because it was too much in my head and needed to get it down on paper. So that was helpful. But the story is something that will take like a year to, to build, <laughs> you know? So it's funny, like, when you're doing stuff for yourself, like when you're coding a site for your portfolio site, you know that like the code itself is very much also a part of the portfolio, like what's under the hood. You know, I try and keep it as clean as possible, but every now and then a little bad habit will slip in and be like, I'll just put a width. I'll just set the width. Not a big deal. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to treat, so treat those sites as, this kind of goes back to like, what what's the narrative you're trying to sell, but also like, what are you trying to get out of building your own site? And so if you're trying to learn how to do some new CSS technique or like go in with that mindset and then the code, yes, you're, you're, you're totally right. The code is like, you should have totally clean code and, and pay attention to that. And, and, but also like if, if the goal is for you to like have more of an online presence, then the code doesn't nearly matter as much mm. and you're just getting it out the door. So 
I did this recently with Keep Ruby Weird is like if you look at the code base and you can because it's all open source, it's just really terribly written CSS because I was like, this just needs to get done and out because they were on a timeline and I had done the design and I was just like, let's just throw code at a wall and see if it sticks and like get it out the door. And it's okay because at the end of the conference, we're just going to trash all of it. Mm. Like it's, it's not meant to live on and it wasn't also meant for like very many other people to contribute to. So like your personal site can probably fall into that as well Is like, does the code actually matter that much? Is it like a thing that's going to live on that people are going to contribute to? Or is it a thing that you're going to learn from? But if not, like, you're the one that's looking at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it's a tool to help find a job where you're coding sites, you should have That code is also true. That, you <laughs> yeah. know, I had those moments too where let's say I was applying for a job and I had to get something up like really fast and I d- would do that and just I would know, okay, you have to go back and fix this after everything is done. And then I wouldn't because who why? <laughs> I have other things that are, that are going on. It works. And then three years later, we are talking about it right now. And it's finally updated. Hooray. But I, I kept waiting to push it to production because I had a list of things I wanted to do. And some of these things were not necessary to get it up and running. Like, oh, I wanted to fix a hover state on something. And then I had a moment where I'm like, just put it up there. And do the hover state <laughs> later. It's fine. It's way better than what's up there right now. And it's the, the thing that's up there right now is so old. And I had to, I used to have a plugin that I paid for that was handling this gallery of images. And then I got an email from GitHub that they they turned off my repo because they didn't hear back from me because the owner of that plugin, they sold the plugin to a new owner and now they're charging more for it. And because I didn't get that memo, I had illegal things. I, it was it was a crazy morning, and I had to, I emailed GitHub, and I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't know that this violated anything. I didn't see your first email, and they they have a grace period. So now imagine that site, and now it's like an hour, and I'm hacking through it, getting rid of this plugin, and now everything is just there's no styling. It's just images on a page, and then that happening for like over a year. Oh my god. <laughs> it feels so good to have it done <laughs> and like over. I just have this like image in my mind of you like frantically <clears throat> typing away. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause I, it was, there was a time limit. They were like, we'll give you back your repo for about an hour or two. I was like, Oh my God, thank you. And also that's terrifying. Countdown clock. <laughs> an hour. Yeah. It's like on a game Ready, show. Set, go. I know. <laughs> but everything got everything's okay. I got it back. Removed the code, and that's that's that. So, man, it's it's hard to make time for your personal stuff, you know, because you're holding yourself accountable, and so you yep. you you can let it slide. You know, it's a Friday. I'm not going to go home and work on it. I'm going to watch Stranger Things, you know? So are you working on any, like, personal projects or things that you've been sweeping under the rug for a while? (laughs) Actually, yeah. I have so much writing that I haven't shown anyone, and now I'm finally getting around to it. And I've written a few things and published at least one of them on the blog. But I've, I've written so many things over the last few years and haven't published any of them just because I feel like they're 80% done 
and I'm just like, especially with writing, I'm really bad at that last 20%. Mm. And so I just like get to the 80% mark and I'm like, okay. And just let it, it's kind of like the same thing. I just, just like, let it sit in whatever writing tool I've decided that I think I will use now. And so like, there's definitely a tension between like just getting over that last 20% or like being okay with being 80% done and shipping it. Mm. And that's like, I love that tension as a designer, especially for like product design, like figuring out what is shippable and what isn't and like being okay with the thing that you release to the public and like how much of the public actually views it. There's certainly something to like this ideal thing where we all think like, okay, we're going to spend a bunch of time making this perfect and I'm going to release it to the world. And like people are going to come from all over to view my perfectly designed website. When in all reality, like it, it more just matters that like you show up every day or, or every week. And like, actually this kind of ties to our huge break in tentative. Like we took almost three months off because miscommunication and like, we had other priorities, but like not showing up every week probably hurt whoever listens to this podcast and just getting something out the door is better than waiting and, and, and making sure that it's perfect, which is definitely why my suggestion is to like define what you want to do with your personal website, because it gives you kind of like that problem statement at the beginning of a design sprint of like, this is how I know it's going to be okay enough to ship is just like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And working in a backlog that has a backlog of tons of stories and cards and features. I've definitely have had the experience with a client where we have this waterline MVP. <laughs> and then, wait a minute, how did that card get above this line? And it's like, well, we really need this. And then this too. And we also need that. And then it's very helpful to have that IPM, our iteration planning meeting, once a week to just sit and reevaluate what's shippable and what, and making sure the team is aligned on all of those things is, is very helpful. Yeah. You know, I was just listening to the last episode that we did together to add links and stuff. And there's something that you said that really resonated with me. And it was just about how building trust within your team and having communication, like open communication is are two of the most important things. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I'm about to start a project that is pretty much a very design heavy project that is research, gathering feedback, gathering interviews and, you know, synthesizing this research and trying to figure out a thing to build all from this research. And I was thinking about how, wow, okay, I think maybe the very, very first thing is how, like, how do you establish trust right off the bat? Because we're all going to get together and do the thing. We're going to do the kickoff. We're going to get together and talk for a couple of days about the project and about what we should be doing and what our timeline is like and what's the first step. But I was, I was thinking about what are some ways to just start with building trust first and talking to each other as teammates and not necessarily bringing the project into the fold minute one? And my first thought <laughs> was when we're, okay, I'm not going to do this, but when we did that improv, you did you did the improv session, right? When we had our, our summit. Yeah, so 
just so everyone's clear, mm-hmm. we, every summer we all get together at ThoughtBot in one location, and we have typically we have workshops. And one of the workshops that several of us took were, was a improv stand up kind of uh, what was it an hour and a half yeah, workshop it was like a of workshop. like, and we just did like games and stuff like that. Yeah, all to build trust and be better communicators within with each other. So I'm trying to think of, because we're, we'll have our kickoff, and this is, again, like, it's our team and a client team, so people that we have never worked with before. You know, what do you think about that at the start of kind of getting together and just kind of talking as people and trying to figure out how to, how to start, you know, gaining trust? Because you could explicitly say, hi, I trust you, and I trust that you have our interests and the project's interests at heart, so let's go. But I don't know, have you ever done anything else? I haven't done anything else, but after we did those classes, I don't know if they would build trust, but I definitely think a lot of those exercises would break down the like walls people put up. So I think from that angle, I've been wanting to try to like, especially on you know our typical design sprint, like before day two of trying to like get everyone like out of the box thinking in terms of ways that they wouldn't normally. Doing games like maybe starting off with the same way that that improv instructor did, which is like no and Mm. and being like doing the opposite of what we wanted to, which is like, you know, you say a thing and I say no and and like immediately become like very defensive and then flipping that over and doing the yes and exercise that is like the token like improv exercise of like. As soon as someone says something, you say yes, and you build on top of it, and and you kind of go back and forth. And I, th- I thought, just as a base, that those two were really exciting because you 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 get to see the like yes. how terrible saying no and to someone and, and like forcing it and being like you have to say no. I was working with one of our our New York team members, and she said that, oh, I miss you being in Philly. And I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) just 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 saying that reaction. And even though we both knew it was, like, it was still, like, off-putting, you know? But, like, going from that to the yes and and, like, changing that attitude and seeing, like, oh, like, this is so much more fun and, like, being able to get that nice reaction. Mm. But also some of those other games, the one that comes to mind for me was Zip Zap Zop, mm-hmm. which was a, like, really easy thing to do. And you could do it as, like, a 10-minute warm-up. And it just, like, you know, took away that, like, wall that people will traditionally have of, like... I'm going to be serious in this meeting or like I'm going to like hold myself back or or whatever it is and just like doing something. So in this game, the idea is, oh, I I even forget the rules. Do you remember the rules? Yeah, I do. I do. So it's called Zip Zap Zop. And basically you're in a circle and someone starts it off and they say zip and they clap and look towards, they look to someone and make eye contact. And the person, oh yeah, and you clap and point. Yeah, right? clap and point, and then you say zip, and that person that you zipped to, they say zap, and they they do the same thing, but they make eye contact with someone else, or maybe you. They may bring it back to you, and then the other person says, the third person says zap, and then we did a million variations on that, and we mm-hmm. did that. I used to do improv in New York for a few years. I was on a team, and that was certainly an exercise that we did at the beginning of every class that I took. Yeah, I, th- I think something like that 
would be so much fun to do at the beginning of a kickoff yeah, I was or thinking design that. sprint. And so <laughs> you should totally do it. I think I and might try it. <laughs> when I <laughs> Don't might try it. Well, the thing is, sometimes it's, it's so weird and people can get very embarrassed saying a, wor- a word that doesn't exist. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I turn red. I don't know. <laughs> but no, that's, it's a good way to get someone out of their comfort zone. Yeah, it's the point to get everyone embarrassed and turning like for me, I'd rather have people getting that out of the way. So being embarrassed about a silly game that we play in the morning rather than like restricting themselves in ideas later on because they're embarrassed to have those. So like the idea is to build an environment where people feel okay to be embarrassed about. That's so true. Themselves. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm going to I'm going to figure something out with this in, this improv stuff cuz we're going to be very very closely working together for for months and I want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable. But that that will happen naturally for sure, but I don't know. I thought it'd be cool to try something different. The other game that came to mind was the Dr. Know-it-all game <laughs> where one person you get like a, like a group of 3 people or 4 people and you ask this group of people like a question and they each they answer it together but one word each like making a sentence and that that was really funny I think there was one that was so funny it was something like (laughs) the question was like what is the square root of pizza or something (laughs) it was was definitely an in the moment thing anyway it made me laugh a lot and I think it could be cool yeah. yeah, I like that one. My favorite game was, the I think, our, our last one in our workshop. And it was like a car game. Like, you were the car and you passed the car along, essentially. Oh. And you could create a highway. to. So we were all standing in a oh, circle. Oh, right. You could create, like, a highway to skip over people. You create an oil slick, which would bounce the car back. And I forget some of the other ones. But that one was, like... The way that life is a highway. Yeah. (laughs) The way that the instructor introduced each piece slowly was like really well thought out and it added a lot of fun in a group of like there were probably like twenty of us and it made the whole thing like really engaging. I just think it was that might be a little too complex for for (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It was definitely a different energy from the beginning to the end, and that was a fast turn like that was within an hour we were all feeling very comfortable with each other and I was just been thinking about this a lot before when I started when I brought this up and I mentioned something I wasn't going to do it was (laughs) trust falls not going to do that (laughs) but it's like how could we do that in a way that's that doesn't involve people you know falling all over the place if anything (laughs) I had this this memory one time of someone wasn't ready for me and then I went backwards, and it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. That is the whole um, point of the trust fall, is to not do that. That's, like, why it exists. That is, it is uh, pretty important that the other person is ready. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter, she doesn't do this anymore. I think this was, like, a preteen thing. She would, like be talking to me and then like suddenly be like trust fall and like not really do a trust fall but like sometimes where i wasn't paying attention i think she knew 
but she definitely she like caught herself she wasn't totally into the whole That's we're gonna so fall backwards but that was that was her thing <laughs> did you tell her that she probably shouldn't do that with friends who don't who don't know her <laughs> so, well how is she's how she's old is she she's about to be 13 Okay. okay. Yeah, I don't. That's great. I don't know what they did at school or, or why that <laughs> became a thing, but that's that's, that's what I think of trust falls now. Right. Yeah, it's been a while since my last trust fall. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask is, do you have any book recommendations for research for user research? Oh, this is such a pointed question, but I was just curious if you have anything you've seen or read. In the past. I mean, the the default ones are Rocket Surgery Made Easy by Steve Krug, I think. And that one's, mm-hmm. oh, that's got to be fairly old now. And then the a Book Apart research, it's Erica Hall who wrote it. I forget the title. Other than that, I don't know if I have good research books. One of the things that I've been doing on the last few projects where I've gotten to do interviews is doing jobs to be done switch style interviews. And for those, they have a whole workshop that is, I think it's fairly expensive, but it's very thorough. And I personally like really enjoy the information that comes out of those. It's it's essentially a timeline interview of like, before you even started a, thinking about the purchase like how did you know that you had a problem like what what did you know there's also a couple like they have examples on their podcast and i know the two men that are known for that have done it on other podcasts and i can send links to those one of them so this is the jobs to be done podcast and the mattress interview and they just do a mock interview and they do some sort of like game where like they're on and off. And so they'll like explain how they're going through the interview when they're off the interview. I've also been listening to a podcast on research. It's called Mixed Methods. Okay. And I found that to be a really good resource to hear like how other people are conducting research, how other teams are doing it. And it's Ariel, who's the host. So she interviews a bunch of other researchers on the podcast and she does a really good job. That's the, my most recent research based thing that I've been kind of digesting. (laughs) Cool. That's great. I love podcasts. That's a great way to get information, especially on the commute, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'll definitely check those out. I hadn't thought about a podcast either for this kind of stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to do some research and see (laughs) research on research. How about you? Totally. Do you have any other suggestions? There is this book that one of the designers here had mentioned, and I'm pretty sure it's called Just Enough Research. Ah, uh, that's the Erica uh, Hall book. That is, it's okay. really good. Yes, and that was actually in our library, so I'm gonna check that out. So that's great; it makes it easier. <laughs> so there was that book, and then the team as a whole were reading this book called Design Systems. I will definitely put a link in the links. But it's been really interesting reading it because, I mean, it's all about figuring out design patterns and like what kinds of, there's different kinds of patterns. And it really does apply, though, to product teams. A lot of it is people, you know, they're on these products for 
couple of years, let's say a year or two, or maybe even three or four. So they have like Airbnb, for example, is is an example in, in, in the book that comes up a lot. They have a very rigid structure in how they design components and introduce new things. So it was interesting because we work on multiple products and different kinds of things. So it's interesting trying to figure out how to establish some kind of design system when it's legacy code or when like you're at a halfway point where it's been a product for a while and you're coming on and trying to figure out a, some kind of system from what they have. But I don't know, it's just really interesting how it's, it's different when you're working at a consultancy and trying to figure out patterns. I would even say like a yeah. lot of the projects that we get are new products as well. And mm-hmm. trying to design a system sometimes is at least for me is, is harder to think about the system rather than like the flow and then, and, and like what I want on the page. And then like, once I get to that point, I can start to iterate on, on some sort of system. But like early yes. on for me, it's hard to wrap my head around the entire visual design library type of thing without like being able to concretely iterate. Cause I feel like, where design systems really shine is when you've had that time to iterate and think about the visual design or the usability of certain components and you understand which components are going to be reused the most. Oh yeah. And naming is a big part of it actually. (laughs) Naming. And she, you know, she had one of these exercises where she actually had users come in and like look at components on the site and just kind of, what would you name this thing or watch them use the site? And let's say they had named the main, like a certain navigation, something that made it sound like it's pretty prominent and important. But then through user testing, they found out that the users didn't even see it. Like, how does that affect how they name the thing? Or then, of, of course, it goes on to, is it even a thing we should have? But the naming was really important, like just kind of figuring that out and also creating a shared language among your team. I thought that was really interesting it's not, it's not only a matter of making a pattern library, but it's really just how do you talk about these different components and just different ways in general of talking about design? You can, you can really do a lot. It's a lot to think about. Naming and language, it's the hardest part about design. I know. We had a person come here, a sales lead, potential client, and they had a prototype. I, I say prototype. It's more like wire. Like the intent is to be more like wireframes. And the entire wireframes is just words of the things that they want on the screen. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. Because like, they're not trying to visualize whatever. They're starting from a point of naming, which is the way that I typically try to start with wireframes or prototypes is just like write down the kinds of things I want on the page. And so they're kind of starting the same way. And so I got really excited about that because they're starting to form that language without me needing to like talk mm. to them about that. That's great. And then and like they also aren't married to any particular implementation mm-hmm. of those ideas, which is always which is always great. Right. That's that's an interesting idea. I like that. Mm. <laughs> Build a wireframe <laughs> tool that only allows people to use words. Right. So basically like PowerPoint <laughs> with no transitions. I was going to say PowerPoint allows <laughs> you to do a lot. <laughs> it's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. That was like the first thing I thought of. But 
I'm mainly thinking of, I was at a big agency and we would get changes from the account manager, which she got from the client, right? So there was like a middle person and oftentimes either the client or the account manager would put all the changes in PowerPoint. And like, it was great. <laughs> I mean, it was really funny sometimes because they would design in PowerPoint and like the red, there's so much red. <laughs> So many boxes, so many arrows. So in those moments, I was like, wow, PowerPoint's really missing the mark here. Like, what's going on? Like, these look really bad. <laughs> no transition, no, like, blinds or explosion. <laughs> explosion. <laughs> or, like, whatever it has. It has lots of bullet points. That's what it has. It's true. And, like, all different kinds. How do you even pick? <laughs> <laughs> you want the weird carrot thing or the arrows or like, I don't know. I, I don't even know what all the names are. Should, it's a whole other episode, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> Do you want to wrap things up? Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. You can find show notes at tentative.fm slash 44. You could tweet at us at tentative.fm. Email us at host at tentative.fm. You can... Send us something, something fun. Send us a like postcard. A to Self-addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> to the Austin office, because I like mail. Review us on iTunes. Only good reviews. The bad reviews, you can put those on iTunes, too. Uh, you can mail those to me. Any kind of reviews is, is good. Yeah. But definitely tweet at us and stuff. That'd be cool. Thank you. All right. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.